This episode of the OrthoWillards podcast will go over the topic of tarsal tunnel syndrome from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Tarsal tunnel syndrome is a compressive neuropathy caused by compression of the tibial nerve. It may be subdivided into anterior or posterior tarsal tunnel syndrome. As far as the mechanism of tarsal tunnel syndrome, there are both intrinsic and extrinsic types of impingement. Intrinsic types of impingement include a ganglion cyst, tendinopathy, tenosynovitis, lipoma-slash-tumor, perineural fibrosis, and or osteophytes. Extrinsic types of impingement include shoes, trauma, anatomic deformity, such as tarsal coalition or valgus hindfoot, post-surgical scarring, systemic inflammatory disease, or edema of the lower extremity. The cause of impingement is able to be identified in 80% of cases. As far as the prognosis of tarsal tunnel syndrome, results vary between 50 to 90% success. There are worse results with double crush injuries and post-operative scarring. Keep in mind that revision surgery is less successful than the index operation. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll go over the posterior tarsal tunnel, the tibial nerve, and the anterior tarsal tunnel. The posterior tarsal tunnel is an anatomic structure defined by the flexor retinaculum, specifically the laciniate ligament, the medial calcaneus, the medial talus, and the inferior aspect of the abductor halysis. Contents of the posterior tarsal tunnel include the tibial nerve, the posterior tibial artery, the FHL tendon, the FDL tendon, and the tibialis posterior tendon. So again, the posterior tarsal tunnel is an anatomic structure defined by the flexor retinaculum, specifically the laciniate ligament, the medial calcaneus, the medial talus, and the inferior abductor halysis. Contents include the tibial nerve, the posterior tibial artery, the flexor halysis longus tendon, the flexor digitorum longus tendon, and the tibialis posterior tendon. Moving on to the tibial nerve, this has three distal branches, the medial plantar nerve, the lateral plantar nerve, and the medial calcaneal nerve. The medial and lateral plantar nerves can be compressed in their own sheath distal to the tarsal tunnel. Bifurcation of the nerves occurs proximal to the tarsal tunnel in 5% of cases. Moving on to the anterior tarsal tunnel, this is a flattened space defined by the inferior extensor retinaculum and the fascia overlying the talus and navicular. Contents include the deep perineal nerve and branches, EHL, EDL, and dorsalis pedis artery. Again, contents of the anterior tarsal tunnel include the deep perineal nerve and branches, EHL, EDL, and dorsalis pedis artery. Moving on to the presentation of tarsal tunnel syndrome, patients may have a history of previous trauma or surgery. Symptoms typically include pain, specifically pain with prolonged standing or walking. The pain is often vague and misleading medial foot pain and may also manifest as sharp burning pains in the foot. So again, patients may also exhibit numbness, specifically intermittent paresthesias and numbness in the plantar foot. Symptoms may also present as part of the, quote, heel pain triad, which includes posterior tibial tendon deficiency that is seen in adult-acquired flat foot, plantar fasciitis, and tarsal tunnel syndrome. The heel pain triad is believed to be due to loss of static and dynamic stabilizers of the medial arch and subsequent traction neuropathy on the tibial nerve. On physical exam, patients may have tenderness of the tibial nerve, which can be represented by a positive Tennell sign. Sensory exam is typically equivocal. Patients may have findings of pes planus. 
muscle wasting of the foot intrinsics, specifically the abductor digiti quinti or abductor halysis. Patients may have pain with dorsiflexion and eversion of the ankle. And patients may have a positive compression test, which is reproduction of symptoms with plantar flexion and inversion of the ankle and digital pressure over the tarsal tunnel, which is highly sensitive and specific. As far as imaging, weight-bearing radiographs will provide information about the osseous structures, and an MRI may be helpful to rule out accessory muscles or a soft tissue tumor. Other studies to keep in mind include an EMG, and positive findings include distal motor latencies of 7 milliseconds or more, prolonged sensory latencies of more than 2.3 milliseconds, where sensory or SAP is more likely to be abnormal than motor. And finally, EMG in the setting of tarsal tunnel syndrome may also show decreased amplitude of motor action potentials of the abductor halysis or abductor digiti minimi. Keep in mind that as far as diagnosis, history is often the most useful diagnostic aid. Treatment of tarsal tunnel syndrome can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes lifestyle modifications and medications. However, this is usually ineffective. Medications may include anti-inflammatory medications, and SSRIs have also been used off-label. Bracing can also be attempted, specifically orthosis or footwear changes to address alignment of the hind foot, and you can also try a period of a short leg cast. Operative options include surgical release of the tarsal tunnel. This is indicated after three to six months of failed conservative management and a compressive mass, like a ganglion cyst, is identified, a positive EMG, and or reproductible and or reproducible physical findings. As far as outcomes of surgical release of the tarsal tunnel, best results following surgery are in cases where a compressive anatomic structure like a ganglion cyst is identified and removed. Keep in mind that traction neuritis does not respond as well to surgery. As far as the surgical technique of a tarsal tunnel surgical release, the approach involves identifying the nerve proximally. As far as decompression, the layers that must be released include the flexor retinaculum, the deep investing fascia of the lower leg, as well as the superficial and deep fascia of the abductor halysis. Again, as far as decompression in a tarsal tunnel surgical release, the layers that must be released include the flexor retinaculum, the deep investing fascia of the lower leg, as well as the superficial and deep fascia of the abductor halysis. The major complication to mention is recurrence, which is usually caused by an inadequate release. Remember that repeat tarsal tunnel release is not recommended. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 45-year-old male recreational marathoner presents with burning pain over the medial ankle with radiation to the plantar foot and occasionally up into the calf. Physical exam is significant for pes planovalgus and reproduction of his symptoms with combined ankle dorsiflexion, heel eversion, and dorsiflexion of the toes. The patient fails conservative management and requires operative intervention. During complete surgical release, all of the following are potential sites of nerve involvement that require surgical decompression except, and the choices are 1. Deep fascia of the abductor halysis, 2. Deep fascia of the leg, 3. Flexor retinaculum, 4. Medial band of the plantar fascia, and 5. Superficial fascia of the abductor halysis. The correct answer to this question is 4. Medial band of the plantar fascia. 
So all of the answers are potential sites of tibial nerve compression in the setting of tarsal tunnel syndrome except the medial band of the plantar fascia, which is not a documented cause of tarsal tunnel syndrome. To quickly review, tarsal tunnel syndrome may result from either proximal compression of the tibial nerve or from distal compression of any of the terminal branches. As a result, pain may be referred to any of the terminal branches distally within the foot or more proximally along the calf. Diagnosis is largely clinical, but should be supplemented with MRI or ultrasound to rule out any compressive lesions. The dorsiflexion eversion test consists of ankle dorsiflexion, heel eversion, and dorsiflexion of the toes, which should reproduce the characteristic foot pain and or paresthesias. Electrodiagnostic studies are of questionable utility. Non-surgical management should always be exhausted first, followed by complete neurolysis should this fail. The tibial nerve runs along the fascia of the tibialis posterior within the deep posterior compartment of the leg. Just proximal to the ankle, it gives off the medial calcaneal nerve, then dives deep to the flexor retinaculum of the tarsal tunnel, where it most often bifurcates into the medial and lateral plantar nerves. These in turn pass through two separate tunnels within and eventually deep to the abductor hallucis involving both superficial and deep fascial layers. Moving on to the next question. A 55-year-old woman presents to the clinic with six months of worsening pain with prolonged standing, paresthesias, and burning in the lateral foot. On examination, she is noted to have adult-acquired flat foot and point tenderness on the plantar surface of the medial calcaneus. Which nerve is most likely involved in the patient's worsening paresthesias? And the choices are 1. Tibial nerve, 2. Saphenous nerve, 3. Superficial perineal nerve, 4. Sural nerve, and 5. Deep perineal nerve. The correct answer to this question is 1. Tibial nerve. So the patient presents with tarsal tunnel syndrome, which is impingement of the tibial nerve, often associated with adult-acquired flat foot and plantar fasciitis. To quickly review, tarsal tunnel syndrome is a compression neuropathy of the tibial nerve as it enters and courses through the tarsal tunnel, composed of the talus and calcaneus deep to the structures, flexor retinaculum superficially, and abductor hallucis inferiorly. Tunnel contents include the posterior tibialis tendon, flexor digitorum longus, posterior tibial artery, tibial nerve, and flexor hallucis longus. Nerve impingement can be caused by multiple etiologies, but in the heel pain triad with flat foot, plantar fasciitis, and tarsal tunnel syndrome, gradual loss of the stabilizers of the plantar arch can contribute to stretch and subsequent compression of the nerve as it courses through the tarsal tunnel, resulting in pain, paresthesias, a sharp burning sensation, a positive tenel sign, and possible muscle wasting. Pain is often medial, but can also present on the lateral side depending on severity and which branches of the tibial nerve are involved. The tibial nerve branches as it passes through the tarsal tunnel into medial and lateral plantar nerves and the calcaneal nerve. In this patient, the lateral plantar nerve fibers seem to be primarily affected given lateral foot burning, but likely with some medial plantar nerve involvement as well. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following is associated with tarsal tunnel syndrome? And the choices are 1. Adult acquired flat foot. 2. Insertional Achilles tendonitis. 3. Hypermobile first ray. 4. Metatarsal stress fracture. And 5. Gastrocnemius contracture. The correct answer to this question is 1. Adult acquired flat foot. 
So of the possible answer choices, only adult-acquired flat foot is associated with tarsal tunnel syndrome. The so-called heel pain triad includes adult-acquired flat foot, plantar fasciitis, and tarsal tunnel syndrome, in which failure of the dynamic and static supports of the medial longitudinal arch increase traction on the tibial nerve. And moving on to the final question, what is the most frequent location of entrapment of the deep perineal nerve? And the choices are 1. Tendon of the extensor hallucis brevis, 2. Inferior extensor retinaculum, 3. Osteophytes of the talonavicular joint, 4. Os intermetatarsium, and 5. Base of the fifth metatarsal. The correct answer to this question is 2. Inferior extensor retinaculum. So the most frequently described entrapment of the deep perineal nerve is anterior tarsal tunnel syndrome. This syndrome refers to entrapment of the deep perineal nerve under the inferior extensor retinaculum. Entrapment can also occur as the nerve passes under the tendon of the extensor hallucis brevis. Compression by underlying dorsal osteophytes of the talonavicular joint and an os intermetatarsium that is between the bases of the first and second metatarsals have previously been described in runners. That's all for this review about tarsal tunnel syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.